You know, the hymn that we sang earlier um, that had the line in it, Visions of Rapture Now Burst on My Sight. Um, That hymn was written by a woman named Fanny Crosby who was blind from birth. I'd never seen anything. Yet she wrote, Visions of Rapture Now Burst on My Sight. And she wrote a number of, of very well-known hymns, and she was asked one time in an interview, Miss Crosby, do you wish that you had the ability to see? And her answer was no. Because by being blind on earth, it means that the first thing that I shall ever behold is the face of Jesus Christ. So, she probably, as a blind woman, knew more about visions of rapture bursting on her sight, and now indeed she knows about it, because She's experiencing it right now than we have ever known. So, tremendous, tremendous hymn. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. With everything that's been going on around here lately, Jackson preaching last Sunday, the baptism the Sunday before, I feel like we've kind of been wandering, not in a bad way, but wandering And now as we go back to 1 Corinthians, it's like we're pulling into the driveway and we're coming home after a trip, after a detour. And we continue now in Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. We're going to finish up chapter 2 tonight in our exposition of this wonderful book as we move into chapter 3 in the weeks to come and chapter 4 and all the way through however long it takes to finish this epistle. I'm going to read the text from which I will preach beginning at verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. These are the words of God. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Have you ever asked this question? In the world in which we live, what is the ultimate difference maker between some men and women and others? Why do some people think one way and some people think another way? Why do some people have one standard of morality and ethics and some people a totally opposite standard? Why do some people value and prioritize completely different things than other people? Why are you sitting here on church pews this Lord's Day evening while others are out partying, having a blast? After all, we all breathe the same air. We all drink the same water. We're all made of the same flesh and bones. So why are some people so dramatically different than others? I want to preach a message to you this evening on humanity's fundamental divide. Humanity's fundamental divide, and it all boils down to one insurmountable distinction. We will meet in this text two men. One of them 
is a natural man and one of them is a spiritual man. And these two men are exhibit A of how worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God practically manifest themselves in society. These two men exemplify what Paul has been teaching us thus far in pretty much the entire epistle. The revelation of wisdom of any kind, whether it's God's wisdom or the world's wisdom, the revelation of wisdom would be pointless if there was no one to receive it. Let me give you an illustration. How do we know the teachings, how do we know how the teachings of, say, the Communist Manifesto play out in society? A a book is harmless, right? It's, It's just a book. It sits on a shelf. It can't do anything. Why do we say that is a dangerous book? The book itself is not dangerous. What's dangerous is when people pick it up and read it and implement it in their lives. Well, so too it is with wisdom. Worldly wisdom is not necessarily the thing that is evil. What is evil is the ideas when they are received and practically lived out. So too is it with the Word of God. That's why it's pointless to just have the Bible... Uh, print it on your wall, have a verse of scripture tattooed on your shoulder. (laughs) The world doesn't care if you do that. What they don't want you to do is to read it and to live by it. So this distinction, humanity's fundamental divide is not wisdom, but it's the reception of wisdom and what men and women do with wisdom. It's not wisdom alone that causes the divide. Rather, it's wisdom that manifests the divide. Now, let me say this at the outset. This is a very philosophical text. This is a very philosophical message. So hang with me. Humanity is not simply divided into one group that believes one thing and a second group that believes another thing. That's not where the divide is. That's the manifestation of the divide, but the divide is more fundamental. Humanity's fundamental divide is discovered by asking the question, why is it that some receive God's wisdom and others do not? Why is it that some receive worldly wisdom and others do not? Why is it that some are Christians while others are not? And the answer is that some men are spiritual and some men are natural. That is where the heart of this division lies. If you're a spiritual man, that will determine the way that you think and believe and act and live. And if you are a natural man, it will do the same. The gospel, understand, is not the division in and of itself. What is the wisdom of God, right? It's simply the gospel. Christ and Him crucified. Paul has explained that. So I'll use the terms interchangeably. The gospel, the wisdom of God, Christ and Him crucified, same thing. The division is rooted in what mankind is by nature. See, it's more fundamental than just the way we think. No, the way we think is because of what we are by nature. When the gospel is preached, the natural man will reject it and the spiritual man will receive it. So what do you do, or what you do with the gospel is not what makes you different. What makes you different will determine what you do with the gospel. And if you're sitting there confused, just hold on. Paul will explain himself. 
In other words, if you want to determine, am I a natural man or woman, or am I a spiritual man or woman, you must ask the question, have I received the gospel or have I rejected it? Because humanity's fundamental divide is much more severe, much more deep, and much more vast than we realize. Mankind is not slightly divided. That's, that's how we think it is. We think, well, you believe a little differently, and I believe a little differently, but we're, we're very similar. We're very close. No. Humanity is not slightly divided. Humanity is greatly divided on polar opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum. There are two kinds of people in this world, and when we take a look at them, it seems on the surface level they're very similar, but that could be nothing further than the truth because they're actually radically different from one another. This text also reveals, though, in a very glorious way, the one and only way in which this divide can be bridged and this mighty gulf can be spanned. So, are people radically different? Yes. But are they eternally bound to that difference? Not necessarily, as we're going to see. Now, I only have two points in this sermon. Um, some of you have probably never heard me preach a two-point sermon. And if you're, if you're thinking, well, I drove all this way and all I'm going to get is two points out of the sermon, fear not, for the length of the outline does not represent the length of the message, in case you were worried about it. The first point, the natural man. It's a simple outline. The natural man. If you're really smart, you can probably anticipate what the second point is going to be. But we'll deal with point number one right now. The natural man, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, we need to ask some questions. We need to ask Paul some questions. Paul, first question, what is a natural man? What, what is a natural man? What do we mean by that? Well, let me tell you firstly what it is not. A natural man is not a Christian who is just operating in the flesh, or a Christian who is backslidden, or just a Christian who is weak and carnal. A, a natural man is not someone who, who was saved at eight in VBS and has just uh, got into some trouble in life. No, that's not what a natural man is. A natural man, very simply, is a man or a woman in their natural state as a result of the fall. In other words, it is very simply a lost person that does not have the Spirit of God indwelling them. To be lost to be totally depraved, to be dead in trespasses and sins, to be a sinner. Understand, you do not have to work to become those things. That is what and who you are by nature. And because of who we are by nature, we do not receive the things of the Spirit of God. According to the preceding section, these things of the Spirit refer to the wisdom of God, which is the gospel of Christ crucified. And the Bible says here that, that it is a message, the gospel is a message which the natural man does not receive. So that's what a natural man is. He's a lost man. If he received the things of the Spirit of God, if he received the gospel, he wouldn't be a lost man, right? So 
He just says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. A, a, a synonymous phrase here would be, but the lost man does not receive the gospel. Very simple. Second question we need to ask, though. What does it mean to receive the things of the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, again, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have funny feelings or that you have visions and dreams or that you roll around on the floor. That's not receiving the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has never caused anyone in in our age to do any of those things. Not since the last apostle ministered. It also does not simply mean to understand them intellectually. To receive the the things of the Spirit does not just mean to understand them mentally. Right? When we share the gospel to a lost person, unless they're a small child, the the lost person does not say, die on a cross. What do you mean by die on a cross? No, they they know what we mean, right? Right? They, they can understand that there was a historical man named Jesus and he lived in, in Jerusalem and he died on... Well, he lived in, in primarily in Galilee in the northern kingdom, but he was crucified in Jerusalem and he died on a cross. They get that, right? When he says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, what he means by receiving the things of the Spirit is to wholeheartedly embrace them as true in a way that it impacts you and pertains to you and concerns you on a personal and intimate level. That's what we mean by receiving the things of the Spirit of God. A lost person can understand the historical fact of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but he does not grasp his desperate need for the work of Christ to be applied to him. He may realize the factual truths of Jesus' life and ministry, but he is oblivious to the fact that Jesus is his only hope of of spiritual salvation and eternal union with God. Now, if I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times, and I'll keep on saying it. It is not enough for you to believe that Jesus died. You must believe that he died for you. And you must trust in his death for you. You must realize that you need that death. What does the lost person do? The lost person, we say, Jesus died on the cross. And if they're a sensible lost person, right? Because the the historical proof, I'm talking about the secular historical proof for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is astronomical. Okay? If they're a sensible lost person, they will say, matter of fact, I like I like uh, uh, I like referencing the conservative idols that we all like to listen to. One of those is Ben Shapiro, who says some pretty good things politically every now and then, and he's a sensible lost person, very lost, but he's sensible. And Ben Shapiro said John, he had John MacArthur on the on the program one day, and he said, "Yes, I believe that there was a man named Jesus." I believe he was crucified. He says, but I think his death is irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter to me. He was, he was nobody. He was, we, would, we would not regard him as, a, as anyone important for me personally. Ben is a good Jew. And so he <laughs> views Christ's death in such a way. 
He does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, so that's what that means. We know what a natural man is. We know what it means to receive the things of the Spirit of God. Let's ask some more difficult questions. What's our, our third question here? Why? Why doesn't the natural man, why doesn't the lost man receive the things of the Spirit of God? That's that, now we're getting into the important stuff. First questions were just definitional. These are really the questions we need to understand. And we as God's people who have received these things, we need to know why unbelievers don't. Do you think that's a handy piece of information in our evangelism, in our understanding of the world? Uh, We want to be separate from the way that they live, but we don't want to be separate from them. We want to be fellowshipping and loving on them and working with them and pleading with them. We need to be understanding. Paul said, I became all things to all men. By all means, I might save some. So why doesn't the natural man receive these things? Well, verse 14. For they are foolishness unto him. To the natural man, the gospel is absurd. It is moronic. He he cannot make sense of it. So he does not receive the gospel because he does not want to receive the gospel. Remember the illustration that I gave several weeks ago, I think back when we were finishing up chapter 1, about how we would react if a man ran into the church and he started preaching to us that our eternal acceptance with God depended on what we believed about the death of an obscure criminal that was just executed down at the state penitentiary. What would we say to that guy? We'd say, you're crazy. Dude, you have lost your marbles, man. Your cornbread is just not done in the middle. That's what we'd say to him. Well, that's exactly what, and, that, and by the way, that's a natural response, okay? The, it, hear me out, follow my train of thought. That's just a normal response. It's a very reasonable response. What is an unreasonable response is to say, man, you are so right. I'm so glad that you told me these things. I repent of not believing them, and now I believe in them. And that's exactly what the Greeks said in the first century when the gospel was first presented to them. These Gentiles, remember the Corinthian church is a Gentile church. And they said, what do you mean? We are Gentiles. We have our Greek gods. We have our Greek way of life. You mean that we need to repent and restructure our existence upon a Jew, an Israelite, over in Southeast Asia? that was crucified by the Roman government 40 years ago? Or, well, I guess at this time, 15, 20 years ago? Corinth is, if I'm getting this right, one of the earlier established churches. And Paul says, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. The natural man just simply cannot understand how the death of Christ applies to them. They cannot make sense 
of the gospel message. Now, by the way, let me say this. The difference, the difference between someone running in here and telling us that we must believe in the death of a criminal at the state pen and, and Paul preaching to the Greeks um, to believe in the death of Christ is that Paul was right. <laughs> okay, so I want to I clarify that. Lest I, I sounded confusing earlier, I want to clarify that. Paul was right. And, and the reason why we would have the reaction is, is simply because of our natural condition. Okay. Let's, but let's ask a fourth question, and perhaps we'll, we'll clear up everything. The, the, the final question here. Why is it foolishness unto them? Okay, so natural man, lost man, got it. Receive the things of the Spirit of God, believe the gospel, trust in the gospel personally and intimately. Okay, why doesn't he? Because it's foolishness. Last question, why is it foolishness to him? We as Christians, it's foolishness to us that it's foolishness to them. Why? Because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have experienced Christ in a, in a way that only Christians can experience Him. We, we know that the Lord is good. We, we've seen it in the Scriptures. We've seen it in our own life. We've seen what He's done for us on Calvary, what He does for us now every day. We, we've witnessed His goodness personally and intimately. And so when someone just rejects the Lord, we think, what are you doing? Don't you know? Well, no, they don't know. Why is it foolishness unto them? Now, let's look at the end of verse 14. Very serious, serious statement that Paul makes. They are foolishness unto him. Watch this. You'll miss it if you're not careful. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them. This is the most startling, detrimental, damning phrase of this whole passage. In order to receive the good news, you have to know the bad news. And this is the worst of the bad news. This is the natural man's condition. The word can, that three-letter word in, at the end of verse 14, so important. The word can, in the, in the Greek, it's literally the word dynamis, or dinamis. It's the same word in Romans 1 where it says the gospel is the power of God. It speaks not just of will or volition, it speaks of ability. Amen. See, it's not just that the natural man simply decided to reject the wisdom of God. It's not that it's not that he just hasn't made up his mind yet. It's not that he heard the gospel and he had the same opportunity or chance. That's why the gospel is not about opportunity or chances. It is that he can do nothing but reject the wisdom of God. The natural man does not possess the ability to believe the gospel. He's commanded to believe the gospel. He's beckoned by God to believe the gospel, but he cannot do it. He cannot do it. Now, this is a doctrine that is absolutely hated by many professing Christians in America today. Many churches, near pretty much all churches, even in our own county, that have Baptists on the sign, 
absolutely hate what I'm preaching to you this evening. That the natural man cannot. His will, his decision-making faculty is in the bondage of his own depravity. He cannot. You must understand that God did not originally create men and women this way. See, when they hear this, when they hear that the natural man cannot, oh, they say, you're a fatalist. If you haven't been accused of being a fatalist, you just haven't been a Calvinist long enough, but trust me, you'll, you'll be accused of that. Someone will say, you're a fatalist. There's no hope in your message. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. God did not originally create men and women this way. Adam in the garden possessed the ability to choose the things of God or not choose the things of God. He had a command to obey and he could choose to obey it or not obey it. And as long as he chose the things of God, he would continue to live in that blissful state. But see, it's not God that created a fatalistic society. By the way, we don't have a fatalistic society. But if we did, it would not be God's fault. It would be man's fault. For it was Adam who of his own free will, of his own volition, chose to sin. Adam said, I don't want the things of God. I'm going to choose to do what God has explicitly, in no uncertain terms, told me not to do. And when Adam did that, he plunged himself, his family, and everyone who had come from him, his entire posterity, that includes you and me, into sin. Amen. God said, The day that ye eat of it, thou shalt surely die. Physical death began in Adam in that day, and spiritual death occurred instantaneously. When Adam sinned, he became a natural man. Just like the natural men and women that are living today. Adam forfeited his ability to freely choose the things of God. And this is the state that we all find ourselves in today. Augustine St. Augustine has this very simple Latin explanation. I'll give you the English, but basically he said, Adam, before the fall, had the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. But man, after the fall, has the ability to sin, but does not have the ability to not sin. Man, saved by Christ, has the ability to sin, has the ability to not sin. And glory to God, glorified man does not have the ability to sin Amen. and has the ability to not sin. Amen. So this is the vicious cycle that the natural man lives in. This cycle of depravity. What are the answers to our questions? Why doesn't he believe? Because he can't believe. Why can't he believe? Because he doesn't want to believe. Why doesn't he want to? Because man is totally depraved 
and he does not desire the things of God. The fall affected our mental capacities. It affected our ability to reason. Why can, when we present the gospel to a lost person, to us it seems so plausible, right? I mean, it's, we know we're sinners. It's a self-evident fact. We see the Lord Jesus Christ. It just it makes sense. He's the Savior of mankind. We need to believe in Him. The lost person cannot understand that because his mental faculties, his reasoning abilities, are corrupted by the fall. The sad truth about the natural man is that he lives only in one dimension. He has no spiritual reality. He has only natural eyes to see natural sights. He has only natural ears to hear natural sounds. He has only a natural heart to love natural things. It is not just that he has not made up his mind. It is not that he has not just been successfully persuaded. It is that he has no ability, no power, that he is entirely unable to receive these things. When we share the gospel with a natural man, it is like trying to describe a sunset to a blind person. John Calvin said that the natural man is like an ass at a concert. He, he can audibly hear the sound, but he has no appreciation for the music. He does not understand what he's hearing. All he can do is rudely interrupt. <laughs> the best that natural man can do is gnaw at the bark of Scripture, but never get to the wood. He cannot receive the gospel because it is spiritually discerned, verse 14, and he does not have the Spirit. Now, this is bad news. This is, this is quite dreadful. I pray that you would ask yourself, am I a natural man? Am I a natural woman? Remember, I said it's not the gospel that makes the division, it is the gospel that reveals the division. How have you responded to the preaching of Christ crucified? Have you received the gospel? Or have you rejected the gospel? Preaching the gospel to a natural man, it's, it's quite literally like going to a foreign country. We might as well go to a foreign country that does not speak English and preach the gospel in English with no interpreter. So the question then comes up, right? How, how will man ever hear the gospel and be saved? How will natural men be <coughs> saved? Well, it's like preaching the gospel in a country that doesn't speak English with no interpreter. Therefore, we need an interpreter. Now, if this text ended here in verse 14, it would be most miserable. But thank God it continues Verses 15 and 16. Point number two of the outline. I know you saw this one coming. We've seen the natural man. For the rest of our time, let us consider the spiritual man. The spiritual man. He begins in verse 14, or verse 15. But he that is spiritual. The Holy Spirit is the interpreter. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes this deaf, dumb, audible preaching sensible to those who naturally could never receive it or hear it. What is a spiritual man? Well, if a natural man refers to a lost person, then a spiritual man quite simply refers to a saved person. 
And this is not a special class of super spiritual Christians. This is every Christian because all Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. No man, including Adam and Eve, I believe Adam and Eve were saved, if you read there in Genesis, after the fall took place, the Lord, the very first thing the Lord did, and we don't have time to chase that rabbit down the trail, but the very first thing the Lord did was manifest His grace to Adam and Eve. And even Adam and Eve, because they could no longer freely receive the things of God, they needed the Spirit of God in them, sustaining them, and maintaining a right standing with God between them and God. Now stop and think about something that's very, very important because we have a logical problem in front of us. What is that problem? Well, all of us were at one point natural men, right? All of us were born with Adam as our physical, genetic spiritual father. We all come from Adam. And natural men have no ability to believe. Says it right there. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. However, one must believe to be saved. So, you see the logical dilemma. Now, some think that natural men cause themselves to become spiritual men by believing. I believed, and then I was born again, and then I was regenerated, and then... But your belief, your belief cannot be that which initiates your salvation because you don't have the ability to believe. So how then do men become spiritual men? A natural man becomes a spiritual man not by anything done on his part, but by the sovereign work of God who sends His Spirit into the hearts of whomever He pleases. Now, if you think they hated the truth about the natural man not having the ability to believe, well, they really hate that truth. But it's taught right here in the Word of God. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 3. John, chapter number 3. I want to show you one verse there. John chapter 3, and look at verse 8 of John 3. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that we see the wind blowing. How do we see the wind blowing? We cannot physically see the wind itself, but we see the trees, we see the leaves. Right, We see flags, we see the effects of the wind, so we know the wind is blowing. And we have absolutely no way of predicting which direction it's going to blow, how fast it's going to blow, how long it's going to blow, nor can we tell where it's going to blow next, nor can we cause it to blow or command it to blow at a certain place. We have no power over the wind. What does he say in verse 8? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So you tell me, according to what Jesus is teaching here, can we cause the Holy Spirit 
to indwell us? Can we cause the Holy Spirit to work upon us? No, the Holy Spirit works upon whom he pleases to work upon. Does that mean we shouldn't pray for the Holy Spirit to work upon people? Well, let me ask you this. If the Weather Channel said that a Category 5 tornado was going to come through Paris tonight, would you pray to God and say, Lord, please do not let this tornado hit my house? Yes, absolutely you would, because you can't control it, but God can. But you'd be foolish to stand out in your front yard with a little oscillating fan and thinking you're going to blow that tornado away. So we can't control where the Spirit works, how the Spirit works, but we can pray to God. By the way, the Holy Spirit is God. For Him to manifest Himself, for Him to work. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. How do natural men become spiritual men? The Spirit moves upon them. The Spirit regenerates them. That is what Jesus means when He says, you must be born again. In order for a natural man to believe the gospel unto salvation, he must first become a spiritual man, and only God can turn a natural man into a spiritual man. And when God turns a natural man into a spiritual man, he will believe the gospel. And there's no chronological distinction. That's why this is hard for us to understand. Right? We, we do not, we cannot, how, how do we know if someone is a spiritual man? What is the only proof and evidence of that? That they believe the gospel. So when, when we evangelize, when I preach, when you tell others, you don't walk up to them and say, I've got something to tell you, but first, let me ask you, are you a natural man or are you a spiritual man? Well, that would be pointless to do, right? But what do you do? You let the wind blow. You preach the gospel. You proclaim to everyone, every creature. I do not believe that there has ever been a single person that has ever lived on the face of this earth to whom the gospel was not supposed to be preached. We declare the gospel to everyone. We tell everyone. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross, died on the cross to save a people from their sins, if you believe in Him, you will be saved. Amen. We preach that to everyone. But we can't save them. They are to be saved. We have just presented the message. It is now the Spirit that must blow upon them, must quicken them, and once the Spirit quickens them, they will believe it. That makes sense. What have we just discovered? We've discovered this. The source of humanity's fundamental divide is not caused by man himself, but by God. Do you realize that if God had not intervened in mankind, there would be no division? <laughs> because all of us would be natural men. All of us would be eternally damned. None of us would ever receive the things of the Spirit of God. We'd all be the same. <laughs> the division comes because God has purposed to intervene in mankind and to ransom and rescue and save 
a people. Therein lies the division. Oh yeah, we as Christians, we believe the gospel. We've learned some doctrine. We've, we've read our Bibles. But we know a lot more about God than lost people do. We live better than them. But we have absolutely no right to boast in what we have done Amen. or to pat ourselves on the back because apart from God, apart from the breath of the Spirit, apart from that spiritual wind that blows in our hearts, we'd be no better off. We would be just as lost. We would be just as blind as a man, a blind man, wearing a blindfold, reading his Bible at midnight with the lights off. That's, that's how blind we would be had God not intervened in our lives. The spiritual man is one upon whom the Spirit has moved. The spiritual man is one upon whom the Lord has sought out, has, has centered his scope upon. It is God who makes the difference in your life, in the lives of his people. Amen. We see some other things about the spiritual man. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Now, <laughs> this word judge, think of the word appraise or discerns all things. This word is not referring to our ability to be judgmental, uh, though we're all too good at that. He, he that is a Christian is very judgmental. That's not what this verse is saying. Uh, I pray that that's not true. No, to judge means to discern what is good and true in a personal way. Again, when he says that he that is spiritual judges all things, essentially... Everything that the natural man cannot do because he does not have the Spirit, the spiritual man is able to do through the Spirit's power. You see, when the Spirit regenerates a natural man, suddenly his eyes are open, his tongue is loosed, his ears are able to receive the Word of God preached unto him. He's able to understand the Scriptures. His Bible suddenly makes sense to him. He perceives the significance of Christ's death on the cross and knows of a surety that Jesus died for him. Now this is something that's very evident in a Christianized society like America because everyone knows the factual nature of the gospel. But it's a big difference when the gospel becomes real for you personally. Larry Lafferty says... Frequently. Now, I know that you've all heard the gospel, but have you really heard the gospel? What does he mean? He says, you live in the South. You live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Yeah, you've heard it, the gospel. But have you really heard the gospel? The all things, he judgeth all things, is a reference to those things that are spiritually discerned. Right? It's... it's <laughs> If you put a math problem in front of me, I will not be able to discern it because I am spiritual. It's not a blanket promise of unlimited knowledge. I know some of you are starting your college classes this week. When you take your preliminary examinations and you don't know any of the answers on the test, don't say that 
your pastor lied to you because he said if you were spiritual, you'd be able to discern all things and you don't understand the geometry or astrology test that's in front of you, okay? No, if you, if you, if you put Spanish in front of me, I promise you the Spirit of God will not help me to read it. But when you present Christ and Him crucified to me, when you preach the Word of God to me, I know that message. And I know that you're talking about my Lord and Savior. I didn't know that naturally. But the Spirit of God revealed that to me. You see what a vast difference exists between a natural man and a spiritual man? Do you see how polar opposite these two men are? I mean, it is like one is just living in a dark hole with the lights off, with no access to anything that is real. Their, their whole life is wrapped up in vanity. Read Ecclesiastes sometime. That's what he's talking about. If you don't have the, the true reality of the gospel of Christ, you don't even exist. He goes on to say, Spiritual man judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now again, we need to understand what this means. Does this mean that Christians are above correction and discipline? If I snap at my wife and Kyle says, Hey, I don't think we're supposed to talk to our wives that way. Can I say, well, hold on, brother. You can't judge me because I'm spiritual. Uh, He that is spiritual is judged of no man. No, it's the same term. What it means is that natural men cannot understand spiritual men. Just like they can't understand the gospel, they can't understand those who believe and live by the gospel. Christians will always be misunderstood. Or just plain not understood by natural men. I think I've told you this story before. If not, when I graduated high school, I graduated number one in my senior class, and I had scholarships to several universities, secular universities, I would have been the first person in my family to go to college. And earlier on in my high school years, that was my goal. My goal was to be valedictorian and go to a really big, well-known school. That's what I wanted to do. That all changed about halfway through my sophomore year when the Lord just dramatically convinced me, convicted me, and showed me that he had other plans for my life. And so when I graduated high school, I succeeded in being number one in my class, which it's not hard to do in Clayton County, Georgia. That's why I don't brag about it too much. But I told my dad, I said, uh, I said, that letter from UGA that they sent me, I, I don't really need it. I said, I'm, I've already enrolled in a, a small Bible college about 45 minutes down the road. And my dad was devastated. He thought I was ruining my life. He, he said to me, he said, don't you understand the opportunity that you have? Don't you understand the, the possibility that you have before you to make something of yourself? And I tried to explain to him, dad, my dad was lost at the time. And I tried to explain to him, dad, I... Those things mean nothing to me. I I have a completely different reality and outlook on life. And he could not, for the life of him, understand. He could not understand it. Well, then the Lord saved him when he was 60. 
And then he understood it. And now he tells me, he says, pursuing what you pursued was the best thing you could have ever done. Better than any secular career you could have ever managed to get for yourself. See, there are times when unbelievers just simply cannot understand why we believe something or why we do something as Christians. You want an example of this in your own life? Just try explaining to your lost friends or your lost family why you do the things that you do. Why you dress the way that you dress. Why you don't go to certain places. Why you don't listen to certain things. Why you have the priorities that you have. They'll be dumbfounded. They will not understand it. And it's, it's really one of the most frustrating aspects of the Christian life, especially when it's a loved one. But the question that you need to ask yourself is, what do you want? You cannot have both. So what do you want? Do you want to be approved of God eternally? Or do you want to be approved of men temporarily? And then Paul ends in verse 16 with this wonderful question. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? (laughs) Now verse 11 of this chapter answers this one for us, right? What does verse 11 say? For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man that is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So who hath known the mind of the Lord? Absolutely no one. When unbelievers dispute the claims of Scripture, what is so dreadful is that they cannot even comprehend who they are arguing with. They think they're arguing with us. They're not arguing with us. They're disagreeing with God. And God has never met one human and thought, you know, this guy's pretty bright. I need to keep him around as my consultant. You, you might know more about a particular subject than anyone else in the world, and you still don't know a fraction of what God knows about it. Lost people don't understand us because they don't understand God. Why am, I, why am I preaching this message? I'm trying to help you understand the mentality that you're dealing with in the world. I'm trying to help you understand why you might experience some of the questions, why you might experience some of the opposition. Because, quite frankly, I was shocked. I thought when I announced, I'm going to to become a preacher, I'm I'm going to be a minister, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to go to Bible college, I'm, I'm going to live a certain way. I thought that my family and friends would say, oh, that's so wonderful, that's great, I'm glad that you're making this decision. I, I was not prepared to hear things like, You'll never make any money doing that. You're going to waste your life doing that. You'll never be happy doing that. You're not going to be able to do this, that, and the other if you do that. When I got married at 20 years old, when I got engaged at 19, you know, I thought people would say, way to go. What 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 an excellent achievement. No, what did I hear? I heard, don't you know how dumb it is to get married so young? You're not going to be able to have fun. You're throwing your life away, et cetera, et cetera. Why is it? That, that we hear these types of things. Don't be surprised when you hear them. You will hear them. In fact, if you don't hear them, you're not doing it right. right. When we are mocked, when we are ridiculed, when we are misunderstood, we should not be angry at unbelievers. That's the hardest thing. You know what happened when, when my dad 
treated me that way. I was bitter towards him. I was angry with him. Why? Because what does every young man want? want? He wants the approval of his father. And I didn't have that. I was, I was angry. But we shouldn't be angry. We, we, should, we should pity them. We should love them. We should pray that God will show them what he showed us. Open their eyes to understanding the way he's opened ours. We shouldn't be angry. Then they're not the enemy. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't even know what they're doing. They're blinded and they're ensnared and they're living in this delusional fantasy world. How lost are they? So lost that they argue with God and they come away believing that they're right. It's the epitome of lost. It doesn't get more lost than that. It's the pinnacle of total depravity. We don't understand how good the gospel is because we don't understand how dreadful the fall was. Wasn't it man just, you know, well, Adam was pretty good and then the fall happened and then we kind of got, you know, a little bad, a little sick. Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, this is not something we receive because we make better decisions than others. It is, it is something that God has graciously and sovereignly revealed. To have the mind of Christ is to understand the truth of Christ and view the world in light of that truth. For someone with the mind of Christ, Christ and Him crucified are relevant to everything in the human existence. Their mindset, their worldview are shaped by the cross. They think gospel thoughts. They see the world through the lens of Calvary. Now, anytime a Christian speaks out against sin or takes a stand for unrighteousness, what do unbelievers always say? You need to be more loving and accepting like Jesus. Let me, let me give you something to help you with, with that. Quit letting natural men tell you about Jesus they don't know him. Again, what a, what a foolish thing to say. So you know Jesus, huh? Tell me what you know about him. Again, we say that. And just, just me putting it that way. No, it sounds snarky. And it sounds bitter. And we don't, we don't want to be that way. But how dreadful is that condition? I saw like a Facebook group the other day that was uh, pro-choice Christians or something like that. Can you fathom how ludicrous that is? That doesn't get any more lost than that. Now, if they said, we hate Jesus and we're pro-choice, I'd say, well, that's lost. 
That's bad, but how much worse is it to honestly think that you know the Lord, that you may instruct Him? Lost men and women do not have the right to speak for God. And we only have the right to speak for God when we are simply proclaiming what the Spirit has revealed to us through the Word of God. What a firm foundation for the things that we most dearly believe. We have the mind of Christ, brothers and sisters. What we believe about Christ and Him crucified, what we believe about the way we are to live, these are not things that come from our own mind. We did not discover them on our own. If we did, we'd have every reason to question and doubt. Next time you're doubting your belief and your faith, ask yourself this, wait, wait a minute, did I come up with this? No, you didn't come up with this. We believe what we believe because God has revealed them to us and given us the mind of Christ. That's a sure foundation. Lord, even when I don't understand it, I believe it. Now I want to make several applications. And then we'll be done. Firstly, you, you must understand that there are two and only two kinds of people. The, the whole Bible screams at that. And this text reinforces it that way. There's no middle ground. There's no such thing as a almost Christian. There's natural men and there's spiritual men. There are lost men and there are saved men. Secondly, there are only two responses to the gospel and the word of God. Either you receive it or you reject it. No one is half a Christian and half an unbeliever, half natural and half spiritual. So remember that when you are sitting there in psychology class and your professor says, well, you know, I really love those passages in the Bible that talk about God loving the world, but that Old Testament stuff about thou shalt not, I, I, I don't go with that. That person does not believe the Bible. They reject it. What about the person that says, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I... I I think Jesus is, is God for you. But not necessarily God for me. I can have a different God and still be alright. No, that person is rejecting Jesus. Secondly, or thirdly, or whatever we're on, application. <laughs> if you have received the gospel... And if you can say by the grace of God that you are a spiritual man or a spiritual woman, I pray that this sermon has given you an even deeper appreciation for what God has done in you and for you. God did not just give you a little help as you were already on the right road. God did not just steer you in the right direction. No, you were void of hope. You were helplessly lost. You were undeserving of God's grace, and yet God entered into your life and saved you. And if this message has caused you to realize that you are a natural man, perhaps it has allowed you to understand yourself a little bit better. Or understand a loved one 
that is a natural man or woman a little bit better or understand someone that you encounter a little bit better. If you are one who attends week after week, but you just don't understand the things of God, you come, you enjoy the fellowship, you like the people, you know that you're loved here, you know that you're cared for here, but when it comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel, the things of God, I just don't quite get them. Perhaps now you know why that is. It's because you're a natural man. It's because you're a natural woman. If you were spiritual, if you were saved, you would leap, you would rejoice in these truths as some here do, but not you. You sit week after week, dry, empty, unsatisfied, and confused. And perhaps now you see something of your condition and your inability. So what must you do? What must someone do who can do nothing? Well, as Steve Lawson says, you must become a miracle. You must become a miracle of God. You will never be saved through an intellectual pursuit of the truth. You will never be saved through the performance of a good work. You will never be saved simply by attending church. You will never be saved by just hearing the preaching. Now, go home and read your Bible, but you will never be saved. You can read it cover to cover and be lost and headed for hell. You must call out to God. You must plead to God. You must beg God to do a work in you that you could never do yourself. This is your only hope. You must say, Lord, I may not fully understand the gospel. I may be a natural man or a natural woman. I have sinful desires that I just can't do anything about. I'm not sure all of the intricacies of your death, but Lord, for whatever reason, I I, I feel within me that, that apart from that, I truly have no hope. And Lord, if I go to hell, I'm going to go to hell clinging and grasping and searching and fighting to get to the feet of Christ. That's the prayer that you must pray. And then you must simply trust the Lord. We who pray for you must trust the Lord to do a work in you that we could never do. And we know that He's pleased to do it. God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but the heavens rejoice. Every time one sinner repents and believes the gospel. Do you believe that if you're here lost, do you believe that God is powerful to save? Do you believe that God is willing to save you? I can assure you he is. Repent and believe the gospel. Beg the Lord to work a work in your heart. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the word of God, privilege to stand and proclaim it. Father, I love the gospel. I need the gospel. I was a natural man, dead in trespasses and sins, born in the stead of Adam. And then by your grace, you quickened my heart. 
You gave me the ability that I did not have on my own to believe in the death of Christ so that my soul could be saved. And Father, I pray because I know that you're still able to do these things. I know that it still pleases you to do these things. I pray that you would do them in our midst, even here tonight. For that one who is a natural man or a natural woman who sits in the darkness of their sins, save them by your efficacious and irresistible grace. Call them to yourself. Reveal Christ to them. And then manifest what you're doing in them by their belief in the gospel so that we can perceive that you're working amongst us. And when we perceive that you're working amongst us, Lord, we will glorify you and magnify you and praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen and amen.